Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. It's sort of a hab- habitual thing now. It's like standard that I always talk a little bit because I don't actually know how long it takes from the time that I hit the button until the time yeah. we go live. But by now, yeah. we should be live. So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight we are going to do a show-and-tell episode with Mark D.S. Truman. You may know his work from Magpie Games, uh, Fate, I think there's a bunch of other stuff in there. And then his current uh, project right now is Cartel, the RPG that's on Kickstarter. And we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, but we'll get there. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. We are very, very happy to have you. I know we've sort of circled around each other a couple times in various projects that you were working on and podcasts that we were trying to do. But we've never actually met before, either in real life or on the Internet. So, Hi. Hey, it's nice to meet you, man. <laughs> Although I've, I've heard that real life is the internet. I don't oh, know if the... <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I did just watch Ready Player One, and I guess the Oasis is reality, reality is Oasis sort of situation. Close, close enough. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we have a $3 brain is saying hello from our YouTube page, so hello back. So for anyone who isn't familiar with your work, uh, give us a little rundown. Who's Mark? How, how would we know you? Oh man! Well, uh, I've been a role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game designer for oh, it's been seven years now. I, I feel I've gone to a couple of events where I'm like, oh, I'm the new kid here, and then I realize like there's a whole bunch of designers I don't know who are newer than me, and I feel like the oldest man on the planet, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I got my start in the story games movement. I made the the plays, the thing, and our last best hope back in 2011, 2012, which are both kind of classic story games, moving tokens, fiasco kind of structure where you're, tell, you're telling stories with very specific scenes. Um, and then I kind of fell down the Powered by the Apocalypse hole in 2014 with my buddy, uh, Andrew Meteros, who uh, was working on a project called Urban Shadows. And so uh, I started working with him. I love urban fantasy. I was a big White Wolf fan and Vampire Lark fan uh, back when I was in college. Um, and so I started working in the Powered by the Apocalypse field, uh, making these kind of really intricate PBTA hacks like Masks and Pillion and the other projects that I've, I've helped the rest of the Magpie team with. Um, and so now I'm back with a, another PBTA game called Cartel, which is about uh, playing basically Mexican drug lords. It's... Uh, narcos it's breaking bad but it has these elements of the wire and el mariachi as well right so you're playing a group of people whose lives are kind of intersecting and complicated um and it's sort of hyper real is how we talk about it it's, i'm not i don't want to teach you about the drug war in the specifics but i want you to know about the drug war 
when you're done, right? Like, like watching The Wire. So. Okay. Um, so I'm starting to hear that warble just a little bit. I don't think it's worth us trying to figure out at this point. But if anyone's listening, there is a little bit of warble with Mark's uh, audio. But I, I, I can hear you. I can understand you. So I think we'll be okay. <laughs> Cool. Um, so I want to talk about masks a little bit because you mentioned that. And as before yeah. we started recording, I mentioned we did a trial of that recently with Brendan. And it was amazing. Like, I have said before that I wasn't a big fan of Powered by the Apocalypse. I, I played a couple different times and it just never really connected with me. And that was the first one that I walked away from going, okay, I get it now. Uh, That's so awesome. I, it's an yeah. awesome, awesome system. And I really, really enjoyed it. I also have superheroes that might have something to do with it. Uh, <laughs> but, but what was that design process like? I know Brendan's quote unquote, the lead designer, but like, what was your role in that project? Well, Magpie is a little bit like an artist cooperative. So when we started the company, Marissa, my co-founder was uh, like an illustrator and an art director. Um, and since that time, we've kind of all just grown up to handle multiple kinds of roles. So I do some admin and financial stuff, but then I do design work and Marissa does art and design work and Brendan does production and design work and Sarah does marketing and design work. And it's a great environment because what it means is that we get to play around with really different ways of thinking about stuff. So I'm not necessarily going to design a superhero RPG. Like I, my stuff tends to be grittier, more urban, more crime fiction. But when Brendan sat us down and we played the first like real draft of Masks at Origins about a year before the Kickstarter, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like you've taken this thing I love in superhero fiction where superheroes grow into who they are. Like I always think about the scene in X-Men 2 where Magneto asks Pyro what his name is and Pyro gives some like regular name and then Magneto says, what's your real name? Yep. Right? <laughs> I was like, that's Masks for me and like... <laughs> and just killed it right and so my job uh was to make it really great to make it work to polish the rough edges um and that's a job we do for each other as a group but also there's usually a dev editor that takes on that role so for cartel brendan is the dev editor brendan has that role for my game um and so i'm the guy who says hey this playbook is like 20 percent too complicated like a <laughs> couple of trims or or this move here like if you combine it with this move then you kind of get this not so fun thing that happens right um but the underlying framework is all brendan's idea and we try to support each of our artists in the pursuit of their individual visions so the same is true for bluebeard's bride where we had strix marissa and sarah come to us and say we want to do a fairy tale horror game it's about this like crazy guy who's married a bunch of times who tells his wife not to open that final door and we're going to do it with PBTA and it's going to have this whole like Turkish goth vibe. And we're like, okay, like let's, let's see where that goes. Why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, we actually, we had Strix on uh, when that Kickstarter was happening. I, I didn't have a chance yeah. to talk to her. My partner Caleb did. Um, yeah, I mean that, that game looks amazing. I've listened to the actual play. I think One Shot did a phenomenal one of that. Uh, and just the book, from what I see online, is just gorgeous. So I know that's kind of the side of the conversation, but good job with that. <laughs> well, no, thank you. And it's not. I mean, we we see all of our stuff as being kind of both part of us learning as a company to put out really interesting, really different things. But also, I mean, Cartel is very much in the same vein as, as Bluebeard. Um, we see projects like Masks and Urban Shadows as like, we want them to be road tested and play heavy. Like, if you experience Urban Shadows, I don't want you to just read the book and call it a day. I want you to go out and play 12 sessions of it, right? And have your vampire turn into a ghost who then gets reincarnated <laughs> as an angel. And like, I want it to be like every season of Angel that never got made, right? Like, that's what I want. <laughs> and for something like Bluebeard's Bride or Cartel, we recognize like 
they're they're different. You're engaging with them differently. They're more serious. They're more thoughtful. Um, the book size is different. It's eight by eight, so the six by nine. We have art that's supposed to evoke the feeling of that place and that time in a completely different way. And my goal is that you maybe you leave it out on your coffee table and it's a book that you like. People come over and you're like, dude, check out this book I got. That's yeah. our goal for those kinds of projects. And, and Bluebeard and Cartel are very much in the same vein. All right. Very, very cool. So Ian says he wants to check out Bluebeard. Um, he remembers the, the fairy tale is very, very dark. Yes, it, it is. It does not shy away from that whatsoever. I mean, I think the game might be darker. Like you, uh, you play the bride, the woman who is doomed. Right. And so, you know, in terms of role playing games, it's a very different experience for folks who are used to playing the heroes and here you're kind of playing the victim. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, what, what choices do you make when, when you're not just going to be able to kick down the door and, and, wield your sword to victory yeah it definitely a different feel going in there's some other games like uh, a quiet year and 10 candles and even dread that yeah, you, you yeah. know that you're not walking away from this that the journey is what's you know it's the friends you exactly. made along the way kind of uh but that definitely very very interesting now i want to talk briefly about the fact you you own your own company in, in a world now that we are very conscious hopefully more so about uh, inclusivity and uh, diversity and representation. So what does it mean to you to own a company that's not just a regular white dude? Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, the, that's a challenging question. I mean, you know, when we started the business, we did not go into it saying myself, a person of color and Marissa, a woman would like to open a business like that's not how we thought about it at all. Right? Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just wanted to open a business because it made sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been doing some business stuff before I owned a tutoring company for a long time. I had a web design company for a really brief time in the early 2000s. And like my goal is, is always to like just do the thing I'm doing and have fun with it and do it really well. And then as we got more involved with the games industry, I realized, oh my God, like we are really different. Like we have very different ideas about what games are and what they should be and what they should represent. Um, but as I talk about in the cartel Kickstarter page, I didn't actually know what that meant like for a really long time. Like I didn't have any sense of what it meant to do a Mexican game, like just no idea. Right. Um, and so it took me a long time to figure out, well, okay, this is what this entire, this, this, this path that I'm walking to understand what a Mexican American RPG is, is like a five year long path because what did I play when I was a kid? Dungeons and Dragons. What, what did I play when I was a teenager? Mage the Awakening, right? Like I didn't play Mexican the Mexicaning the game that game doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Like, so so you know what what we do in terms of diversity in some ways just comes very naturally to us. We work with people we know, a lot of whom are women and people of color. We prioritize their voices, we try to put energy behind their products. Um, but we don't see ourselves as a company that only does that. I mean, a good example is we did two ash cans this year, which are sort of mini games that we're trying out putting in front of people getting feedback on one of them is by kevin petker who's a canadian living in boston um, called the ward and kevin's wife is a, a doctor and he wrote this great game about what it means to be a doctor it's kind of like er the rpg okay it's great um it's very different in that i don't know another medical drama role-playing game that's really unique and we thought there's a yep. very unique vision uh kevin's a white dude like yeah. we White dude with a really unique vision. But we also published Pasión de las Pasiones, which is by Brandon Leon Gambetta, which is a telenovela game oh, okay. in which you play the cast of a Latino telenovela, you know, down to the cowboy and the weird clown and the pirate, <laughs> right? And I walked into his playtest thinking that it was almost like a prank. Like I read it on the playtest schedule and I was like, 
is somebody messing with me? Like, <laughs> is, am I going to walk into the room and people are going to pop out and go, surprise, there's no telenovela game. We're just messing with you. But Brandon was there and his game is amazing. And so, yeah, when we had the opportunity to publish his Ashcan, we were thrilled to do it. So, you know, our, our goal is to see gaming not be less of what it is, but more of what it can be. That is very, very cool. And again, I'm happy that you're in the world because I enjoy some of the products that you make. And, you know, for me as a consumer, it doesn't always matter. I mean, see, I'm a white dude, so, you know, I have, yeah. to, I have to keep that in mind. But I like what you're doing, so I'm glad that someone out there is doing what you're doing because it's awesome. Thanks, um, man. Yeah. We don't expect people to check the pedigree of the designer before they sit down to play. <laughs> right. And some people do, and that's great. But, you know, but not everybody can or will or wants to. But as long as the game is fun, that's the that's the starting point, and hopefully someone will then take a step back and go, "I really like this game. Who made it?" You know, it's yeah, just like when you watch sure. a movie and you're like, "I want to know who wrote this," and you go to IMDb right. and you go, "Oh, they wrote this and this and this," and you just sort of yep. start branching out. Yep. I mean, for me, like our our primary goal is to make sure each one of our games is a lasting experience for you. That's our number one thing. Um, we believe in like the word in passion because we feel like they're really interesting, unique experiences. Um, and there are a lot of people of color who have been here a long time. I mean, the, the example everybody quotes is, of course, Cyberpunk 2020. Mike Pondsmith, uh, you know, very, very interesting dude. Um, and like most people don't know he's black. Like, And so that means that you've got this foundational role-playing game, the game that kind of like kicked off cyberpunk in the tabletop RPG space. And one of the primary designers was a person of color. That's a story that has been told a million times over and over throughout the industry. Um, and so we've been here and we're contributing. And the big difference for Magpie is we also control the bank account. That hasn't always been <laughs> the, the case. Right? Very, very cool. Uh, so I'll take a, just a quick second to pause. Uh, welcome Shortmanian444 into the chat. It looks like maybe we weren't working on Twitch right away, but now it seems like it is working. So we simulcast on YouTube and a couple other places. So hopefully people can watch us there. Uh, we are going to take questions. If you have any questions for Mark, and it doesn't have to specifically be about cartel, it can be anything, uh, throw them up in chat. And as I can, I'll filter through them and we'll get to them. Uh, so before we get to cartel specifically, I want to ask you kind of one more question about the overall process. As sure. someone who's now tinkering, I think most people who run games eventually, I always say we become armchair, uh, you know, game designers because we tweak a rule here. We, you know, subtract this one. We add this one. But I'm yeah, starting yeah. to actually tinker with an actual game that I'm thinking about playing around with. Good. When you started Cartel, like what is the, and I, I don't go through the entire design process, but from concept to ready to go to Kickstarter, what was that time frame like and how much of that is actual like play testing in the world not necessarily in house but going to cons oh, the, so this I, th I actually think cartel is a terrible example um because <laughs> so what happened was that i was i was working on urban shadows wrapping it up really getting my feet under me with pbta and understanding how powered by the apocalypse games work i was watching breaking bad i was frustrated i love breaking bad but i was also frustrated that it's set in my hometown of albuquerque and the Latino characters are all at the edges. Mm. They're all pushed to the edges of the story, right? And and that's not to say that's inaccurate. I mean, I think there are lots of, I love Walter's story. It's, it can only be told about him, right? But I would have liked to see a lot more Latino characters throughout the, the show. And that's when it hit me like, oh, I should, that's my game. That's my game, right? I got I to gotta connect these things I love, crime fiction and Mexican melodrama. I got to get these together. And that's where Cartel came from. And so the core moves for Cartel, the core idea of it, that came out in probably about two hours and then hasn't really changed. I knew exactly what I wanted to do because I had some pretty solid mastery of the tools and that was it. This is what I wanted to do. 
And then I play tested it for like four years, which is probably a longer time frame than, than is wise. Right? Okay. <laughs> and that's partially because I'm also helping John Wick run the 7C second edition Kickstarter. I'm also trying to get masks out the door. I'm also working on Bluebeard's Bride. I'm also trying to catch up on Urban Shadow stuff we're trying to finish. So how much real playtesting was in there? A ton, but I probably could have gotten it done in six months if I hadn't had 17 other projects to do, right? Well, yeah, I, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> so for any armchair designers out there who's working on your game, uh, don't do 12 things at once. And don't do 12 things at once. <laughs> maybe you can get done in six months. Yeah, awesome. yeah. But I would, I would say a better example is actually my very first game that plays the thing where um, I took probably about six months to figure out all right, what I think this game is about and how does it work and play tested a bunch of times and then went to Kickstarter. So this is my game. Hopefully you all like it. I did Game Chef with it. So that gave me like some deadlines to keep moving. And then we did the Kickstarter. And afterwards, I finished writing the game in a couple months and sent it over to John Wick, who I just met, to edit it. And he edited it. And then I released it. That was it. And that was perfect because don't take five years for your first game because it'll actually turn out to be 10 and you'll never get anything done, right? right. So our attitude is get to some minimally viable thing like you know, your if your first podcast is supposed to be a fourteen-piece series with hard-hitting investigative journalism that will take you ten years to do, dude, podcasting won't even be a thing by the time you're done. Right? right yeah. Like, <laughs> so we advocate for all new designers. Like, get your feet wet, get it done, get something out there, put something in front of people, even if it's just digital, and then go on to your second and third and fourth game. I never finished my first game, my very very first serious game. Never got done hmm. because by the time. I was ready to work on it. I was already doing other things and I was more interested in those things. And I just kept moving. So um, a lot of times you talk to people like me or like Ken Haidt or, you know, I don't know, pe people have been doing this for a while and their experiences are so wild. Like this is my full-time job. It's so weird thing to do for sure. a full-time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Congratulations so, though. You're living the dream, buddy. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. But th that's like, I spent a lot of time today working on taxes. So I don't no. know if my experience is good for like, you know, that's this, if, if you want to do game design, I can tell you there are easier ways to do it than dedicate your whole life to it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that for me is like new designers need to hear more than anything else. Finish something, anything, get it done, put it in front of people, see if they like it. And then you can take five years to work on your like magnum opus. Right? Sure. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences with me. I, I really appreciate it. Again, as someone who's tinkering, I'm I'm always trying to pull little threads from different people who have had yeah. success. And and I, one thing I love about your story is, uh, you know, I still think Kickstarter is awesome. I love Kickstarter, but there is a bit of a sense now that some of the larger companies they aren't really using it for its purpose. It's just a pre-order system. Uh, but sure, still, I have no problem with that. But it's nice that it's still there for that purpose where you had you know you had an idea. And Kickstarter helped you make it a reality. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think even for, I mean, I, I know some of the bigger companies, you know, quote unquote, some of them may only have two or three employees, right? Right. There, there's an impression that they're big, but it's still a yeah. two or three person operation. I got you. Exactly. Yeah. But I would say, you know, the biggest thing for us is Kickstarter helps us figure out how big something is. Meaning, is this the kind of thing that's going to take, that, that people are going to be interested in seven supplements or two or one or you know, do people like it in this format or do we need to come back again later? So even for established companies, what Kickstarter does is give us the ability to actually figure out what people are interested in. The old days, man, I can't, I can't imagine that. Like 
all right, let's go run off 3,000 copies of Cartel out of my pocket and see if we can make this work. Yeah, just drive around to different conventions and try to sell them 12 bucks off I the table. I guess, man, that, that sounds crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, our, every RPG we've ever done has had some Kickstarter backing, um, even if it was small. And for us, that's, that's always put us really directly in contact with the people who are playing the game. And it's meant that we've gotten feedback from people long before we've published. And that is really core to Magpie, that everything we do is driven by wanting people to play this game in 10 years right like i want to make sure that 10 years from now you're like oh you guys never played cartel yeah dude let's do it right it's <laughs> awesome right? and and not oh yeah i bought that game and then we played it once and it was just okay and then i never played it again oh, yeah. like that for me is the the worst outcome for a game designer yeah, but I, I i am that person i have i mean i have like shelves of of games here Yes. <laughs> I may never get any of them to the table, but I buy them because I like the designer or there's something unique or sure, the art's sure. awesome or something, you know, yeah. but unfortunately I, I don't have enough time in the world to get everyone up to the table. So, yep. but you know, but as someone who wants to create a thing, I want people to use that thing and I can totally get that. Yeah. We kind of feel like a game that never gets played is a game that doesn't exist. Right. So uh, it might, we, we recognize that of a hundred copies sold, not all of them are getting played, even though I would want them to, but we want to make sure the number that are getting played is as high as possible. And that takes us listening to people about what their actual experiences are and what, where the game is giving them trouble and where it's not fun and where it doesn't work. And so we, we have a, we, we try to be hard on ourselves because we know once we hit print, it's kind of like, that's it, man. <laughs> it's out there. It's your, out your, there. your baby's out of the nest. It's got to fly on its own. <laughs> it's got to live on its own. Well, and to hear that you guys had a great time with masks, for example, just that, that's the best feeling in the world, man, to hear that you had a great time. It's really well, good. I think what works well for Powered by the Apocalypse, which, again, some people love it, some people yep. could do without it, is it, it's more like a genre emula emulator in a way that you go to those games for a specific feeling. So, like, there's a million generic fantasy role-playing games uh D&D right. &D and Pathfinder are two of the most popular but there's so many of them right. and sometimes you have to wonder like why would I play one over the other are they really that different are they giving me a different experience but a game like Masks or you know Cartel you play those because they are going to give you the ability to tell a certain type of story that you really can't do otherwise or you can but it's not going to work as right you know it's like a you're using a hammer when you should be using a saw absolutely you, you can yeah. cut the board with a hammer but it's not perfect um, not, not you might hurt yourself. Too. <laughs> uh, we we kind of joke that we're artisanal game designers. Oh, right? okay. From, from from our basement to your table is the is the is the idea, right? Like, All right. I, I want to be the restaurant that's only open on Tuesdays, but has the best fish you have ever had. Yes. Right. And, and I'll let McDonald's sell all the fish sandwiches they want, and they're gonna make a lot more money than we will. But but we make the best fish you've ever had, and we're only open on Tuesdays, right? <laughs> and when you say like mass is very specific, it's like, yeah, dude, if you don't, if you don't, if you want to play an adult superhero, it's not the game for you. If you want to play gritty Watchmen-like superheroes, it's also isn't the game for you. If you don't want to play superheroes, this is not your game. But if you want to play Young Justice or Young Avengers or X Men, dude, this is your game. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Cartel specifically. Um, as I've already kind of mentioned, it's on Kickstarter currently at this moment. It uh, looks like we have about 11 days left to go. I'm hoping to get the audio-only version of this up within the next couple days. So if you're listening to this on our regular feed, you got about a week left or so before it's going to be over. Uh, you've already funded. You're looking for 5000 and you're getting close to forty at this point. So the game's going to happen, which is, you know, some people don't like to jump on the bandwagon until they know the bandwagon's going to get to the finish yeah. line. 
Um, but give me the pitch. What is Cartel and why should I care about it? Sure. So Cartel is a uh, Mexican narco fiction game, meaning it's a it's a game about drug culture and drug drama. So think something like The Wire or Breaking Bad, um, but it's set in Mexico. And so it has these elements like El Mariachi, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and Mexican telenovelas. Um, and you, in, in the game, you all play bold narcos, naive spouses, and dirty cops all caught up in the this, like eternal drug war, this unending conflict between law enforcement and the, and the, the narcos. Um, and so Cartel is a game about not playing the bad guys. Like it's not, I have no interest in, like, like I'm not a guy who likes Suicide Squad games, right, where you all play villains. I'm interested in characters like Avon Barksdale from The Wire, where he's a villain who just happens to fund the local boxing center right or you know cuddy from the wire the guy who was a hitman and killed some people and did some prison time and then comes back and wants to be different right like complicated characters characters where you're not sure whether you should be rooting for them characters where like walter white maybe you stop rooting for them halfway through the story um and so cartel gives us a place where you get to experience mexican culture you get to be in this like new environment that's kind of hyper real and really exciting and interesting where there are like hitmen and and like these these cops who are who are working for both sides and it's all very dramatic but also everything is always on fire right like <laughs> all the time you have problems man and the cops are on your tail and you're you're kind of caught up in it now. and so uh for me it's it's a it's a game that i hope fulfills my goal of creating that mexican rpg that, that i said didn't exist but also that gives players this opportunity to play through these like really gripping tense drug stories uh, on both sides of the line all right very cool uh somebody jumped into chat battle yuri was asking about discord call-ins we do not currently have anything like that set up just because i'm dumb and i don't know how uh <laughs> but if you have questions please put them into chat i will try my best to filter them in uh and also welcome uh, new york tater he's one of our regulars i'm glad you could join us a, a little early for this so a couple questions for you about cartel sure as a white dude who lives in a flyover state. Can I play this game? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, I remember the first time I played Monster Hearts. I sat down and Monster Hearts is sort of a queer teenage monster game. And I thought to myself, like, am I really about to play like this kind of queer werewolf? I'm a straight dude. I love werewolves. I really do. But like, is this for me? Right. And like halfway through the session, I was like, Oh my God, what was I even thinking? Of course, like I, I role play elves. I can role play like this queer werewolf. Like it's not different. They're just people. Right. Um, and yet I also understand that part of what that initial impulse was, was not about me being afraid of being a queer werewolf, but me being afraid of offending queer werewolves. Like I, I don't know if there really are any queer werewolves, but if there were right, they could be offended. And there certainly are Mexican people who are caught up in the drug war. Right. And so it's important to note that like this game is not about it's not Grand Theft Auto, right? Like it's not about running around and killing people and doing silly things. It's about actually engaging the kinds of conflicts these people have. It's why I talk so much about the wire when I when I talk about it. This sense of like, yeah, Omar as a character is really cool. This like hitman who robs the the drug cartels. But over the course of a couple of seasons, you see Omar's whole life, and it's not always great. It's, it's rough. It's a tough life. And so if you come to the table with the understanding that the game is going to challenge you, 
to be Mexican, to be in this conflict, this specific conflict, not just, hey, it's scary, but like, these are the people you owe. These are the people you have to protect. These are the people that you care about. Then, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm excited for you to do it because it's an opportunity for me to share something cool about my culture and my family with you in a way that I can't think of any other way to match, right? Like I could send you a copy of El Mariachi and be like, watch it, it's awesome. But that's totally different than being like, how about you play the mariachi and, you, and you're in town and someone's killed someone you love. What are you going to do about it? Right. And let you puzzle out what it means to be that person from the inside out. All right, very, very cool. Now, I'll admit I had, a, I had a little bit of hesitation when I first heard about the game because I didn't I didn't know who was doing yeah. it yet. I, I had just heard, hey, have you heard about this game cartel? It's on Kickstarter, you know, blind, blindly hearing about it. And in my day job, I actually work in uh, anti-money laundering. So I work for a bank trying oh, wow, to stop man. people who are laundering money. <laughs> so I by no Long means point. integrated, but I have a pretty good idea of how some of that works and how violent it, it can be. Yes. And there was a little bit of worry, like, you know, is this game glorifying the bad guys? And when I started doing some research, I saw that was not the case. But there was some initial, like, oh, you know, what is what is the game going to give me? And I'm glad you said it's not like Grand Theft Auto because that was kind of what I thought. I was like, oh, this is like Grand Theft Auto. You're the bad guys and you're going to you know, kill people. Um, do you did you worry about that at all? Was there anything in your head about, you know, are we glorifying something that we shouldn't? Oh, my God. This project has been nothing but worries for me. Right. Like like are, are white people going to play a game where they like the playbook titles are in Spanish? Like are, are Mexican people mad at me because I'm spreading more drug culture stuff, which is a, a real problem sometimes? Um, what I what I've settled myself with is that these stories that that these stories are important, and you know one of the things I often say is that we need both Wakanda and the Wire, right? So Wakanda has this whole sense of what Africa could have been without colonialism. It's this beautiful testament to the spirit of African people and their potential and their excellence. But the Wire is also really important because those are the stories of people that never got their Wakanda. This is this is the best they're going to do, right? This empire that they're building, this life they've carved out for themselves. Um, I just finished working on a book called The New World for John Wick Presents for 7C, in which you play Mesoamerican heroes who never dealt with colonialism. I mean, that's my Wakanda, man. That's like as, as Wakanda as it's ever going to get, right? Sure. You play Aztec warriors next to the pirates of the Caribbean, right? That's freaking awesome. I'm really excited about <laughs> it. But it's not my people's whole story, right? It's, it's, it's more complicated than that. And so when I sit down to work on Cartel, it's my job to get you, the player, to wrestle with the complexities of this person's life. And sometimes, I don't, I don't think that glorifies those lives, but it, it humanizes them. And sometimes you're going to be like, yeah, this does make sense. I'm going to kill this guy who's betrayed us because we got to kill him. He's going to go to the cops. I got to kill him. I'm sorry. I don't even feel bad about it like dude earned his, or dude earned his bullet like, i'm done and then later i want you to think about why you made that decision and think about what how little it took or how much it took i want you to be the good guy sometime and be like oh they're gonna kill my friend when they find out what he did i gotta get him out of town and somehow manage to get that guy out of town before El narco finds him right like i want you to live both sides of this life and in doing so i don't think it glorifies the cartels at all i think it undermines this idea that they're, I don't know, super powerful and super omnipotent and super exciting and super romantic, I think they're a drug organization. 
And like any other drug organization, they are a business mm -hmm. first and foremost. And living that business as an illegal business means that the only thing that will end the drug war is, you know, the end of the drug war. You can never win. You can only end it. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm happy to know that that's obviously something that you you you've already thought through. I'm sure other people probably question the same thing. Uh, but that was just an initial hesitation. They said, like I said, once I looked into it, I kind of got over that. So I want to encourage anyone who's listening, definitely go check out the Kickstarter, uh, you know, get some additional information, see what this game can offer. Cause you mentioned breaking bad, which I love breaking bad, except for season four. They almost lost me in season, four. but otherwise I thought it was great. And I also love uh, better call Saul, which I think actually brings yeah. to, more to the forefront. Some of those, um, Latino yeah. characters that are, they're more central to that story. Yes, than, much more central. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, so I like the idea and I like to play complicated characters, but I think when there's a veneer of fantasy over it, like I can play a dwarf who runs a criminal organization, which is exactly the same thing, <laughs> except I'm using a bad Scottish accent instead of a terrible Mexican accent. Uh, yeah, yeah. but it, it, well, it feels, I feel protected. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's what I'm challenging. You know, I have a, I have a friend who, uh, talks a lot about a, a line I said kind of off the cuff in an interview where I said, I want you to confront it without the distance of metaphor or time. I don't want you to have 50 years on this thing. I don't want you to be a dwarf. I want you to be a Mexican person in 2007 who lives in Durango, which is about 10 hours south of here. I want that because anything short of that for me is, is running away from the real thing. And, and like, that's great. There are other games that do that really well. But what I really want you to do is contend with the idea that like, yeah, in cartel, if you shoot somebody and they die, they're not coming back to life. There's no, there's no magic potion. There's no psychic maelstrom. There's no, you know, easy out. If you accidentally kill a character, that character's done. They're, they're gone from the narrative. Right. And and that's only going to happen if it feels that like like I said hyper reality right that sense of everything's painted in these big broad colors the everything's super intense everything's the worst day of your character's life right um, and in doing so my hope is that you get it something that we can only get it that way right that like like Breaking Bad we see we see the world through Walter's eyes and it's kind of ridiculous that he does all this oh, yeah. but it also makes sense <laughs> right in the moment you're like. He doesn't have any other choice. Yeah. But upon reflection, you're like, actually, he did. <laughs> there are quite a few other choices there. But but you get caught up in the moment. I mean, it's almost like a, a, like they call them popcorn movies, where when you're at the theater, you're like, oh, this is great. And on the drive home, you're like, you know, that really didn't make sense. Yeah. You, know, you start to think about it. Yeah. The thing you're questioning here is instead of could the rock really jump from this building to the next building, you're questioning instead, wait, did Walter really have to let that girl die? Couldn't he have saved her? Yeah. Couldn't he have done something? And that's that's the feeling I want you to have about your own character, right? Is later thinking through, did I make the right choice, right? Um, and so Cartel does veer, I think, between being kind of tragic and melodramatic and, and sometimes darkly humorous, right? I think about, you know, the the way characters die on Breaking Bad sometimes where you're, you're like, I don't know if I should laugh or cry. Like right, this. yeah. Like it just breaks your heart and you start laughing and you're like, how are this connected? Um, there are definitely moments in cartel where, you know, you'll find your whole table burst out in laughter because it's just so heartbreakingly true. And then the next moment will be a tense standoff between two characters where, you know, this might end with one character in the dirt. That might be it. This might be the end 
pivot. Um, and that, that kind of pivot is what I love about narco-fiction. It's the, what I love about the intensity of what um, Phil Vecchiano, misdirected Mark, called the second world. Right, so you've got the, fir the first world, which is the world of laws and, and normal jobs and regular behavior, and then there's the second world, the, the world of the Godfather, the world of the wire, the world of Breaking Bad, the world that's hidden from us by all the, the masks we put up to keep it away from the cops and the law. And in that world, there are rules, but they're not the same rules as in the first world. Okay, that's very, that's a, very I like that a lot. Uh, so one more time, I'll take a moment because we got a few more people who have jumped in. Uh, we're talking about Mark Diaz Truman, his work, his company, and Cartel specifically. If anyone has any questions they want to throw into chat, please do. I'll filter through them and try to get them to Mark. Uh, we probably got about another 10, 15 minutes left before we have to get out of here. So if you have any questions, don't wait. Uh, so let's talk about the Kickstarter specifically. Uh, I think last time I checked, you're about 38,000. You're less than 2,000 away from your next stretch goal. So right now, if I want to jump into this, I want to get a copy of Cartel, what's it going to cost me and what all am I going to get? Yeah, so first we, we are big believers in PDFs. I mean, we, I have a huge collection of RPGs and I can't fit, take them all with me everywhere. So we have a couple of really cool PDF levels. The first one is uh, obviously if you back at 20 bucks, you get all the PDFs we do for the whole campaign, including um, the first supplement, which is called Amigos y Enemigos, Friends and Enemies which is about like uh, all the other characters you might meet in Cartel. So if you're not super familiar with Mexican drug fiction, you might not be, uh, for example, um, then this book is packed with characters you can use in your game, you can use as player characters, like you can just jump right in with it. And then we just finished funding uh, another supplement called uh, Sin Fronteras, which means Without Borders, and that has additional playbooks. If you're familiar with PBTA, playbooks are like pre-generated characters, kind of like half pre-generated characters they give you an arc that you're going to go on. And so new playbooks mean new arcs in cartel, especially the new arcs each intersect really interestingly. So for example, if you play Las Esperanzada, who means the, that means the hopeful one, the one who wants to fix the cartels and, and, and end the drug war, her interaction with La Esposa, the spouse, is totally different than if you're playing El Narco, right? So the, the mix of playbooks at the table determines a lot of what cartel is about. So Sin Fronteras has new playbooks, new hacks, and we're actually working on our next stretch goal for Sin Fronteras, which is Berlin 1981, which brings Cartel to the Cold War in 1981. Like we're gonna release some new playbooks and some new materials for you to play Cartel as spy fiction, similar to like Atomic Blonde or the spy who came in from the cold. Um, so the $20 level gets you all of that stuff, everything we do, um, and it's really popular if you don't wanna you know, lug around books uh, with all the Kickstarters you backed. Um, the core book level is $50. It's an eight by eight full color book, so it's a little different than your average role-playing game. Um, it's very similar to Bluebeard's Bride, if folks are familiar with that. We published that last year. Um, it's got amazing art. Like it's, it's designed to be kind of a coffee table book, so you can put it out on your, your table and show folks when they come, come in. Like, look at this cool book I have. Um, but it's also got everything you'll need to play the game. So lots of examples, lots of tips for uh, the master of ceremonies to run the game. And of course, all the playbooks, all the rules, everything's there. Um, above that, the next like really super cool level is the El Narco level. Um, we have a bunch of cool accessories we've done. We have some uh, candy meth made by the woman who did all the meth for Breaking Bad. Um, so like, cause that's here in Albuquerque. Um, we have uh, some Santos candles, which are the saints candles that you see at the grocery store, um, but with the playbooks on them and like a prayer for that playbook. So like there's an El Narco candle, and a La Sicaria candle. Uh, Sicarias are hit women. 
Um, and then we have some like really cool temporary tattoos designed by uh, a Mexican artist named Miguel. Um, and all of that comes with the El Narco level along with a special edition of the book. Um, and the special edition of the book has in print uh, a PDF that's available to everybody, but only in print and special edition um, about the CIA. Because I think the CIA are a really interesting part of this whole drug war thing. And if you've seen Sicario, you know that the effect that the CIA might have on the PCs, right? That the CIA has its own plans. Uh, so the special edition of the book actually contains that section in print along with the El Guero playbook, which is kind of like the white dude playbook who's a, a CIA <laughs> operative like Johnny Depp and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Um, and so the El Narco level has basically all the cool stuff. Um, and then above that, we have a couple of really fun levels like um, we have one level where you can, uh, you can get a song about you. So in Mexican drug culture, there's these things called narco corridos, and they're they're basically like gangster rap, but if it was produced by John Philip Sousa, like they they have like you know almost like polka music behind them, but they're like super intense and lyrically they're very okay. interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we we have a reward level where you will write one of those songs for your character. Um, we're releasing a few of those songs as part of the Kickstarter, and uh, if you back at that level, we'll we'll actually write a narco corrido for you. Those are definitely very interesting, uh, but very appropriate, theme-appropriate Kickstarter uh, rewards. I think those are pretty cool. Um, sorry, taking a look at the Kickstarter now. So, it, uh, excuse me, got a tickle in the throat. I don't... <clears throat> so when does it actually end, just in case um, this someone doesn't listen to this right away? Yeah, yeah, the last day is Sunday, April 15th, so it's a little over a week away. Um, we do some pre-orders and stuff afterwards, but we, we generally limit it. Like, we'll just do one or two reward levels, so it's definitely great to get in before the Kickstarter closes. Now, one of the things about the playbooks is, you know, again, they're sort of like templates in a way. They kind of like, they, they yeah. predefine some of the things that you do, but there's still always options and questions. But just in the few that you went over, it... It doesn't sound like this is like a quote-unquote traditional adventuring party where we're all on the same side together. So this game pits you, it looks, sounds like, against each other, at least to an extent. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. <laughs> uh, we had a guy who played Cartel as probably one of his first indie games at Gen Con last year. And after it was over, he was like, told the GM, it's really interesting. I mean, you just like split the party from minute one and it totally worked. And we just cracked up, right? Like, like, yeah, man, because there is no party, right? Like, when you sit down to play cartel, the five of you are taking on roles that might be in direct opposition to each other. But the game is designed to facilitate that conversation. So, for example, if you're playing El Narco and I'm playing Las Prozada, my whole goal may be to arrest you. Right? Like that may be my goal in today's session. Um, and Cartel plays out really well in one shots or two shots. You can do longer campaigns, but it's built to be able to ramp up really fast. So in that case, you know, you and I are probably not going to have a scene together to start unless the mechanics that I've given us actually have some way of modulating that. So it could be, for example, that we're related to each other, mm -hmm. that I came down to Mexico to end the drug war to find out that you're my uncle. And that my uncle is the one that I'm trying to find and arrest. Or it could be that your identity is a secret. And so, of course, I have a meeting with you, local businessman. Uh, I, I'm here to... <laughs> local chemistry teacher? Yeah, local chemistry teacher. You know, what can I, what can you do to help me? Like, I've heard that you have had some run-ins with the cartels. And you, of course, oh, of course I have. Yes, it's been very difficult. And now it's a game of cat and mouse where I know your character. 
And out of character, I know you're all not going to go, but can I prove it, right, in character? Um, and so, uh, in general, the characters know each other, and they're not friends, but they need each other, and they have a variety of relationships that are marginally stable. But over the course of play, those relationships kind of explode, right? And people are turned against each other um, and have pursue their own individual goals. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's probably a big head trip for somebody who's never played a, a, you know, an indie RPG. Um, but what I found is that it comes very naturally to folks because like Pulp Fiction or Breaking Bad or any other sort of drug story, you would kind of intuitively understand that you're locked in the business together, but that doesn't mean you like each other. Right, and that's a that's a pretty time tested technique of putting characters in the same place at the same time. So it goes back to that D and D thing where like one person wants to play chaotic evil, and one person's playing lawful stupid. And how do you make the group work? Well, you kind of have to because if you don't, you're both going to die. Uh, this just sort of again wipes away that v fantasy veneer, and it's just like, okay, you don't like me, I don't like you, but if we don't work together right now, we're both going to prison and or dying. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what's great actually is when somebody sits down and they're like, well, I'm just a monster. Like I'm just the worst person you've ever met. I'm like, cool. So like the other PCs probably will have a problem with that. You're going to, you're going to do a lot of things. They're going to draw a lot of attention. And maybe today's session is about finding out how, how far the other PCs will let you go. And it may be that their tolerance for your bullshit is only going to go so far. <laughs> So, so that's that's kind of an interesting. Let's let's talk about that at least for the last few minutes here. From a GM standpoint, what sort of advice or tools does this game offer? Because it does sound like this is kind of a different type of yeah. game than what. You, so, like, what what are you providing me if I don't know how to run this to make it easier? Yeah, well, one of the things I love about Power by the Apocalypse games is that they're very clear about what the GM's role is. So, in general. When people do things that trigger moves, so for example, you might try to get the truth out of someone. You're like, where were you? Where were you? Right? We roll. On a 10 plus on 2d6, the move tells you what happens, and it's usually good for the person that rolled the move. On a 7 to 9, they get some of what they want, but not all of what they want. On a miss, which is a 6 or lower, the MC says what happens. And there are rules for what I can say or not say. Right. So for example, I can't say, uh, everybody dies. That's not interesting. That breaks the rules, right? What I can say is, as you're interrogating this person, you hear a knock at the door, and you look outside, and it's the cops, and they're here right now. What do you do, right? And so I, as the MC, have a lot of tools to mess with the PCs, put them in a bad spot, turn the pressure up, sometimes turn the pressure down so that the two PCs don't kill each other right in that moment, right? But my goal is to keep the pot simmering. That's my goal as an MC. And unlike something like Dungeon World or Urban Shadows, where a lot of the threats are external to the characters, the joy of MCing a session of Cartel is that your players will make such a mess from minute <laughs> one. Like they, they're just going to instantly be up to their needs and problems. And all your job is is to keep those problems moving and interesting and fun. Um, and the, the whole, the MC ha says what happens on a miss thing really works because you can have big reveals where the person misses and you say, that agent that you trusted, they totally work for the bad guys. They're gonna reveal it right now, right? And, and what was not true before becomes true in that moment because that's the right move, that's the right beat. Um, and we don't ever undermine what was said before. If we said, oh, this person would never betray anybody, great, cool, that's fine. But there's a lot of moments in drug fiction where you realize the briefcase is empty. You realize that guy you shot was your cousin. You 
you know, shoot up a car and nobody dies, but you hit a kid behind the car, right? Like those reveals are a huge part of what makes Powered by the Apocalypse work. And so for Cartel, I've given you the tools to make those reveals interesting. All right. That Again, I've only played Powered by the Apocalypse a couple of times. I've never ran it. Um, yeah. But Mask kind of made me a believer. So cool. I, I definitely want to try out some more of those games. So I'll call one more time for questions from the audience. Anybody has any questions for myself or for Mark, please um, let us know while we're waiting. Because I know there's a bit of a delay while we're waiting for that. Uh, where can people get a hold of you or find more of your work, Mark? Yeah, you can always go to magpiegames.com, which is our, our website. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Trumons, T-R-U-M-O-N-Z. Um, and I'm on Google Plus and Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you know, my, my passion for Powered by the Apocalypse is because I think it has such a great set of tools for, for MCs and, and for players. I think when you find a genre you like and a game you like, like it really can click and you're like, oh, everything I've always wanted to do is right here. Um, so if people want to talk about that stuff, like I love talking about game design and game mechanics. Like, that part of my job is amazing. <laughs> um, so I'm always excited to answer questions about how games work, about how our games work, about how other people's games work. Um, and we just, all of us at Magpie have a real passion for seeing game design be pushed further um, and so you know in cartel one of the things i've been working a lot on is how to simulate sort of stress and bad decisions because i love it when players do dumb things but i hate it when players like feel like they have to do a dumb thing i like them to feel like they're smart right <laughs> you're, you're in a crime fiction novel right like you you're smart you've lived this long so in cartel you get stress and as that stress builds up eventually it like breaks you and you have to do a dumb thing to keep going right <laughs> So you have this thing where you can kind of manage your stress levels, but when they get out of control, then you've got to lash out at somebody. You've got to beat somebody up. You've got to go do some drugs. And, and sometimes you walk away from those things scot-free. Sometimes they blow up in your face. And so that's a technology that I would love to see people take and use in other games because this is not the only kind of fiction that works that way. All right. Very, very cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I really am so happy that we had a chance to chat. Like I said, we, we sort of circled each other a couple different times, yeah. a couple different conventions. If I get an opportunity to play one of your games, I would absolutely love to do that. If you happen to be in Dayton, Ohio in November for some ungodly <laughs> reason, uh, we run a catacomb. We have a convention. You, you and Brendan come play some games. Susan, uh, Susan Sarah? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, yeah, bring yeah. everybody to Ohio in November. <laughs> Uh, congratulations again. The Kickstarter is already super funded. It's almost like 700%. Uh, hopefully a few more people will check it out from this. So again, you got until April, did you say 15th? 15th. Yep, this so, Sunday. So about a week left. Uh, $20 is the PDF level. It gets you pretty much everything. And then it goes up from there. Print version is around 50 And then you have the super cool levels with all the cool doodads and that kind of thing. So yep. any last words before we sign off, Mark? No, man, I'm excited. I, I, I can't wait to hear a whole bunch of white gamers using Mexican slang a year from now. That's my real goal. Man. I want to hear the chingons. I want to hear the orales. I want to hear it all. And I'm, I'm excited to teach a generation of role players how to curse in Spanish. Oh, there you go. Is, there's, is there a, like a GM tool for that or like a, like there's, a, there's like a, a menu of common phrase, like yeah. in Deadlands? Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, yep, yep, for sure, yeah. Definitely but, neither. Yeah, what I want is to for you to not only be able to do that, be able to do it appropriately oh. <laughs> and not get yourself in any trouble. Uh, but yeah, like I want to capture all of that, the fun slang, the, the intensity, and, and I'm just excited to share it. Like, 
I see this as a great time for us to share something cool with, uh, with gamers who are unfamiliar with it. And um, just like Bluebeard's Bride shared this particular experience that women have within these relationships, I'm excited to share with you this like complicated drug thing and have you walk away with a really cool understanding of what it means and, and also have these stories about the close calls, the, the narrow escapes, the blown up things, the bodies in, in bathtubs, the whole, that's what I'm looking forward to. Today. Really looking forward to seeing people play. All right, very, very cool. Well, once again, thank you for anyone watching. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, about 10 minutes, we're gonna jump back on with our regular Wednesday night show, so please stick around for that. And uh, Mark, we'll check back in on the Kickstarter, and this should go out, I think, on Thursday? Hopefully on audio only, but I'll let you know when it's live. That sounds wonderful, thank you. All right, thanks guys. Everybody do our awkward wave out, bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.